welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the Identity and Purpose series. So this is the second of three weeks that we're looking at this story. And I have to apologise if you're bored with it already because it was my suggestion that we split it into three. And, and look at the individual characters in this story, the father, the elder son, and the younger son. And I suggested it because it's such a, a long passage, and there's so much in it. And I think often, in, in the time that we have, unless, of course, you're in Africa, where you're expected to preach for an hour and a half, as normal, you actually can't get into the, the depths and the understanding of each of the characters. Um, and so it's, it's just good, I think, sometimes to, to take the time to go deeper. So um, I'm, I'm going to be looking at the younger son, the prodigal son, this week. And Emily will be speaking on the older son next Sunday. Um, so I'm not going to, to really refer to the older son at all, um, as far as I know, unless God has other ideas. Um, so you'll have that coming next week. You know, I, I often call this parable, instead of the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, I often call it the parable of the two lost sons and the gracious or loving father. Because I think we can, we can get pulled away from the main point of this and just simply focus on the younger son and his misdeeds. To set it in context, this comes, this whole, the whole of chapter 15 of Luke comes at a time when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are seeking to trip Jesus up to find things that they can condemn him for. And the thing that they keep coming up with is that Jesus spends his time with sinners. He mentions tax collectors. Now, tax collectors in the day, I know we may not like paying our taxes today, but at the time, they, it was like being a collaborator with the Nazis during the Second World War. That's how extreme it was to be a tax collector. So just hold, hold that picture in your mind. And the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were really offended that all these really wicked people were coming and spending time with Jesus and listening to his words as he spoke about the kingdom of God, as he spoke about God with an authority that they knew that they could not come anywhere near. And it's interesting that that they, they were condemning him for not just being with them, but for eating with them. And eating with sinners was seen as being beyond the pale. It was okay to, you know, sort of pass them by in the street. But to actually sit down and have a meal with someone was extending the hand of friendship. And and so they were just so offended at everything that Jesus was doing. It went completely against 
everything that they thought was right. Now, of course, in our day, we understand the principle. We had a whole series on our front line and going and reaching people, and you can't reach people if you don't know them and you don't spend time with them. So we have that mindset. But back then, Jesus' attitude as a rabbi, as a teacher of the word of God, was completely radical and went totally against everything that was happening in the day. And so here we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law so offended with Jesus, and they're muttering against him. I love that word, mutter. There are some words that I just really enjoy. And mutter, is, it's one of those really interesting words. And you can imagine Jesus is, is talking, sharing stories, sharing about the things of God. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sort of standing there and they're saying to one another, but so it can be heard. Have you ever been in situations like that? Someone saying something loud enough so they know it will be heard, but quietly enough that they can deny it if, if it all goes against them. And they're, they're muttering, listen, look what he's doing. He's welcoming sinners. He's welcoming tax collectors. He shouldn't be doing that. And almost you can hear this whisper beginning to go out. And Jesus is fully aware of what they're doing. He's, he's not taken in by their, their act. And so he says, I'm going to tell you a story. And he tells one story, but in three parts. The first story, which we looked at a few weeks ago, is that of the lost sheep. And the shepherd, the good shepherd, who goes out to find that one lost sheep. And then he moves on and he tells the story, the parable of the lost coin. And of the woman who turns the house upside down looking for this lost coin. In both of those cases, there is absolutely nothing that the sheep or the coin can do to make themselves found. If you're looking for a lost sheep, they don't tend to hide away and then as you walk past, jump out and go, here I am, you found me. No, they will find the worst possible place to go, down a cliff, in a hollow, wherever they can to make it the most difficult thing possible to find them. Ask any sheep farmer, they will tell you that. The coin is an inanimate object. It cannot do anything to make itself found. And so Jesus shares these two stories that are a part of this whole. And he then goes on to talk about the parable of the lost son. And on first reading, we could think, well, this is obviously completely different because the son knows how to be found. He knows where his father's house is. But let's look a little more closely at this story. So Jesus continued, it says. There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The son, the younger son, goes to his father and asks for his inheritance. You know, this was not done in that day and age, even in our day and age. You do not go to your parents when they are still, still fit and healthy and say, okay, dad, I know you're still here. I'm not interested in that. I just want what's going to come to me when you die. And I want it now. He's in effect saying, I wish you dead. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I just want what's, what's mine. You know, the father would have been quite within his rights to turn to the son, maybe slap him across the face for his, his cheek and say, get out of my house, you're no longer welcome. But you know, the father doesn't do this. Because this father, although it's a story about an earthly father, this is not your ordinary, everyday father. This is an illustration of God, our Heavenly Father, and how he treats us as we don't deserve. He treats us always with grace. And aren't we so glad about that? So he doesn't say no. He doesn't throw him out of the house. He actually agrees to the son's request. And at that time, when a property was divided, it was divided between the sons. The daughters usually didn't get to look in. There are a few places in scripture where God grants an inheritance to the daughters. But that's why we are, as females in the kingdom of God, we're called sons, because sons inherit. So don't get upset at being called sons in scripture. It means we're part of the inheritance. Just like men, don't get upset that you are called the bride of Christ. Okay? So the sons inherit, and the estate is divided equally between the sons, apart from the eldest son gets a double portion. So in this case, the younger son would have got a third of the estate. And so his father gives him a third of the estate. Now, this would have been property. It would have been animals. And it would have been probably some money, gold or, or jewels. But obviously, the son, in his plan to leave the father's house, couldn't take whole flocks of animals with him and, and half a farmhouse or a couple of barns. So what he does, and it seems that he did it really quickly, is that he must have sold the property he was given. So the animals, part of the farm, he would have sold it. And in doing so, he would have made the family's shame at his attitude public. The whole community would have known 
what was happening within this family. You know, if you, if you have an argument in your own family and it's kept within the walls of your house, nobody else knows about it. But if you then take it public, if you sell the things that you've been given, especially in a farming community, everybody knows. The whispers go round. Oh, do you know they're selling part of their property? Well, actually, it's not them, it's the younger son. He's been given his inheritance. The father's given it to him. And you know what he did with it? He didn't decide that he was going to build up the farm and, and get more animals. He's selling it because he just wants the money. He doesn't care about the rest of the family. That would have been the narrative that was spread throughout the local community. And he did it quickly because it says within a few days, he took what he had and left and went to a far country. It's almost as though he couldn't get far enough away from the father's house. And there it says, he spent what he had in riotous living. Now, I don't know about you, but riotous living does not, to me, give the impression that he took what he had, this huge amount of wealth, and invested it in a business. He'd not gone off to seek his fortune, to make his own way in the world and make his family proud of him. No, he'd taken what he'd been given, what had been built up for years within the family, and he squandered it. He just wasted it. The, the term prodigal means to be extravagant. We, we think of it in, in the other way, don't we? Like he, he wasted it. You can be prodigal in a positive way or in a negative way. He was prodigal in a very negative way to the extent that he very quickly ran out of everything that he had. And just then a famine hit. So he's away in a foreign land. He has no money, no resources, and he's cut himself off from his family. You know, in, in the Jewish lands, there was the principle of hospitality. And so if you needed somewhere to stay, the Jewish families would take you in. That was part of the law, and they knew how to do that. But in Gentile areas, there was no such law. No such idea of hospitality. And so he finds himself a long way from home, from everything that he's familiar with. And there he is, desperate. He wasn't desperate to be reunited with his family. He was desperate for food. And you know, when we're hungry and desperate, it drives us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. And so he goes, this younger son from a wealthy family goes and hires himself out and ends up being sent to take care of the pigs. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around pigs. They're really cute when they're little. If you've ever seen piglets, they are incredibly cute. 
but they get bigger and they love the mud and they stink. When you're with pigs, you smell of pig. You can't help it. You can come in, you can take a warm shower. It gets into your pores. You do not get rid of the stench of the pigs. Not only that, but pigs were unclean animals to the Jews. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> you see? Perfect illustration. <laughs> you see, that's what the younger son should have done. <laughs> but instead, he went and lived among the pigs. You know, it's interesting that it says that he'd hired himself out, but he was given nothing. He actually wasn't any better off. In fact, he was worse off because he was working, he was stinking of pig, and he was still starving because they weren't giving him any food. And it says he longed to fill himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. But he couldn't. Can you imagine how desperate he was that he wanted to eat the pig's food, the pig's swill? The reason he couldn't eat them was not because he was too proud. It was because the pods that they fed the animals are indigestible to humans. He was so desperate. If it had been possible for him, he would have eaten those pods. And then we find, he, it says, he came to his senses. He came to his senses in verse 17. I have this, this picture of him thinking, what am I doing? How far have I fallen that I'm even considering eating the pig food? When he left his father's house, he forgot his identity as a son. Not only did he forget, he trampled all over it. He left his father's house and he looked for his very identity in the world, but he failed. It was only when he came to his senses and returned to the father that his identity and purpose were restored. But isn't it interesting? It says he came to his senses. It doesn't say that he repented. His attitude was, as you read through it, I'm rehearsing my lines so that when I get to my father, I will sound contrite enough that he might take me back as a servant. It says, as he's repeating it in his head, Father, I have sinned against you. But actually, he doesn't mean it. It's a bit like when you say to two children who've fallen out, now shake hands and say you're sorry. 
and they shake hands, and I'm sorry, but you know full well there is no, no sorry in their hearts. They have to say the words so that they can get out of the situation that they've put themselves in. But actually, they don't mean it. Quite a lot of adults do that as well. So there we have this son saying, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against you. And you know, those listening would have understood that he was referring to Moses going before Pharaoh when all the plagues of Egypt were coming and Pharaoh was desperate. And it says that Pharaoh said to Moses, I have sinned against your God. I have sinned against heaven. So I, I recognize that. Now please take away the plagues. But actually, when Moses prayed and the plagues went, Pharaoh hardened his heart again. It was the circumstances that caused him to say, I have sinned, rather than his true recognition that he had sinned and that he needed to change. So, the son thinks, I'm going home. I will be better off even as a hired hand in my father's house. And so he sets off on that journey. And then we have the father. He doesn't know if his son is alive or dead. We don't know how long his son has been missing. But he has never stopped waiting, watching, looking for him. That is such a picture of our Heavenly Father. No matter how far we go, no matter how long we have gone, our Heavenly Father continues to watch and wait for us. And when he is still a long way off, it says, the Father sees him. And he runs to greet him. You know, the Son has done part of the journey, but is not repentant. But the Father's grace runs to meet him, to welcome him. He opens his arms and he hugs his son. You know, it says he was a long way off when the father saw him. And I was thinking this morning, I wonder what the conversation was on that walk back to the house. You know, it's, it's things like that that I can't wait to heaven to ask. <laughs> Just tell me. What was the conversation? And as they arrived at the house, the father bringing home his son that was lost. He's gone out to welcome him. He's gone out to bring him home. And he says to the servants, he's heard his words, 
But he says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe. Bring sandals for his feet. Bring the ring to put on his finger. In those three acts, he is reinstating him as a son. Everything he lost, everything he's left behind, the father is restoring. Servants didn't wear sandals. Only members of the family wore sandals. And so he sends a servant to get sandals to put on his son's feet. The best robe, the ring. Was that the signet ring of authority? Restored to him? His place in the family. His identity and purpose was restored at that moment. And he was welcomed in to the family. But you know what's interesting? He still smelt of the pig pen. You know, when we come back to the Father, we don't have to clean ourselves up first. It's not, it's not a work that we can do. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn restoration. We do not deserve it. Just like the coin and the sheep could do nothing to be found. Neither could this lost son do anything to be found and restored. It was all the gracious gift of his father. You know, there are people here today and maybe you stink a bit of the pig pen. Maybe you're in the Father's house now, but there are things that you're involved in, maybe things that you're doing, maybe conversations that you're having. Maybe you don't even acknowledge when you're away from the Father's house that you are actually a son of your Heavenly Father. But there is a way back. There is a way of restoration. Because the Father will always welcome you. And he will cleanse. And he will restore. Because that's the grace of our Heavenly Father. We need to come into a true knowledge of God and who we are in relation to him. Our identity must come from who God says we are and what he says about us. We can't find that out there in the world. We can only find that in our Father's presence. And he is longing for us to come and be restored to our true identity and our true purpose. You know, the younger son squandered his inheritance. He wasted it. He did nothing important or significant with it. 
And we may be sitting there thinking, well, I, I haven't squandered my inheritance. I'm, I'm good. I come to church. I'm, I'm part of things that are going on. You know, I, I live my life as well as I can. But I want to challenge you this morning. What are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? What are you doing with the spiritual gifts that he's given you? If you speak in tongues, how often do you speak in tongues? If you have been given the gift of prophecy, how often are you using that gift? If you have the gift of healing, when did you last pray for someone to be healed? And not just in church, but out there. You see, we might think that, that actually we're okay. But the Father has lavished his gifts upon us. Lavished them upon us. We don't deserve them. You don't earn a gift. If you earn a gift, it's a wage. It's not a gift. And these are spiritual gifts. But when he gives them to us, we're supposed to use them. So as I finish, I just want to, to ask you to pause and think. Lord, what are the gifts that you've given me that I'm not using? And how can I use them to bring glory to you and to your name? We were at a, a funeral yesterday of a dear friend of ours. Uh, she was 79 when she died. She'd lived a good life. So there was a lot of, of joy and celebration. But you know, till the, her last breath, she was using the gifts that God had given her. She gossiped the gospel like no one I have ever met before. Everyone she met, whether it was the homeless man on the corner or the nurse in the doctor's surgery, wherever she went, she would tell people about the Lord who'd saved her. And she would do it in such a way that you couldn't take offense. <laughs> she was using her gifts right to the last moment. Are we using the gifts that we've been given to bring him glory? Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.